Greetings and welcome to the Powers That Be Daily Pucks podcast on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I am Teddy Schleifer. It is Tuesday, July 26th. And today, Bill Cohen is here to talk about recessions. Are we in one? Does it matter? Who decides? And what actually matters in people's day-to-day lives? And Bill thinks it's not whether we're in a recession. We'll hear all about that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We're here today to talk about the end of the world. And by that, I mean the end of the U.S. economy as we know it with Bill Cohen, who is out with a new story looking at a recession on the horizon and what it even means to be a recession. Things are bad or things could be bad. And Bill is here to tell us about just how bad that is. Hey, Bill. Hey, Teddy. Nice to see you. For folks who do not remember Econ 101, can we just start with the basics here? What is the technical definition of a recession. It's two continuous quarters of GDP decline, decline in the gross domestic product. Now, the question is, okay, so what if GDP declines, you know, two quarters in a row? How does that really translate to the, you know, everyday American, how they live their lives? What what really translates is, you know, what things cost. Going to the gas pump, filling up your car, well, that's the obvious one. Buying a house, borrowing money. I feel like I'm on the $100,000 pyramid here. You know, what it costs to buy a car. I mean, you know, we see sometimes this in reverse, like generally with, you know, electronic goods, or you know, computers and AirPods and things like that. They have a tendency to go down in price, you know, through you know, greater efficiencies and productivity. And that's sort of what we've been used to. But now as all that's being flipped on its head, you know, food costs more, gasoline costs more, housing costs more, money costs more, you know, what doesn't cost more? So, I mean, whether it's a recession or not, who cares what you call it? I mean, uh, you know, what's it like? How far does your paycheck go? Are you feeling like you're you know, saving money and, and creating wealth? Or are you you know, sort of losing the battle day to day. Right. 
This reminds me of some of the discussion on the left over the last couple of years about GDP and whether or not that is like a good metric for American, for the health of an economy. This is like a big part of like Andrew Yang's kind of critique of, of capitalism, maybe that, you know, we should be maximizing happiness and not maximizing productivity or maximizing economic gains in terms of real income, not overly concerned with, you know, are we making enough widgets? Tell me that there is a reason why we've cared about GDP is that it seemed to have been some objective way to look at kind of the health of an economy, or are you sympathetic at all to these critiques that we're maybe talking about the wrong conversation entirely? Well, look, I mean, I think capitalism is predicated on growth, continuous growth. You, you know, you're like a shark. If you're not moving forward, then you're going to die. And we are the largest economy in the world at like $21 trillion. China's coming up fast. So, I mean, it's one objective way to assess economic growth, economic productivity. I'm not an economist. It's, you know, it's the way economists talk, you know. And part of the way they talk is, of course, to make things very confusing. And it's like any specialist, you know, they have their own language, their own argo that makes it very difficult for people to penetrate and understand what they're saying. Like we're talking to a bunch of doctors as they were doing lung surgery or something. You wouldn't understand a word they were saying. And all you'd care about is whether they got the job done. Do you have to know how a car engine works to drive a car or how a computer works to use a computer? The, the answer is, of course, no, you don't. The White House is sort of pre-spinning release of new GDP data saying that there are, quote, no fixed rules for a recession. Like, Tell me why it matters to the punditry class or to politicians, whether or not this is just a recession or correction or a, you know, a bad day in the office or a bad day yeah. on Wall Street. Like, like it, it matters to elites when they just talk about it, right? Yeah, it's a shorthand way to talk about what's going on in the economy. And so when then like, you know, Larry Summers or Jared Bernstein, you know, go on the uh, on MSNBC or Fox and they talk about, you know, the economy and then they talk about GDP growth and then they talk about two straight quarters of GDP declines, then they're talking about a recession and everybody hears the R word and then there's political consequences for that. So, I mean, theoretically, there were political consequences for the financial crisis in 2008. I mean, that was quite clear that there was real trouble afoot. This is a lot murkier because it doesn't appear to be a catalyst. You know, the banks really aren't involved in this situation. There's no villain per se, right? The villain really is the Fed and 13 years of low interest rates and expecting right. that nothing was going to happen as a result of that. Let's just take a break. We'll come back and talk more about inflation and sort of who the villain is. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. 
The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We're back here with Bill Cohen. Bill, um, I wanted to talk about inflation and sort of where the Fed might go from here. You know, you write in your, in your column this week, you know, this is the table the Fed set with its 13-year addiction to low interest rates that was then exacerbated by events beyond its control. A pandemic that interrupted many supply lines and a war in Europe that pushed the price of fossil fuels to historic levels. I am not sure how the Fed engineers this landing. It seems to be in hope, in prey mode, not to have you play chair of the Fed, but like, is this now a deck that is stacked and there's going to be pain and, you know, they're going to have to reel in inflation and maybe there's little things around the margins that can be done to make this not as bad? Or is there any creative policy ideas that save a few or more than a few jobs and dollars. Yeah, well, I'm not a Fed governor or an economist. You know, you can't have 13 years of zero interest rate policy where you literally manipulate interest rates as close to zero for 13 years and expect there not to be any consequences, as I say. So just like we enjoyed the consequences of 13 years of low interest rates, now we're going to enjoy the consequences of reversing all of that because it's led to, you know, asset bubbles everywhere and, you know, high cost, you know, everything getting inflated, the cost of things getting inflated. People say, oh, well, we didn't have inflation for most of those 13 years. Well, it was obvious what was coming. You just can't do that and expect there to be no consequences. So now we've got the consequences and people don't like it. And now the Fed has to reverse course. And if they need to reverse course to the same extent that Paul Volcker needed to reverse course, we're talking about, you know, real interest rates. If inflation is 9%, real interest rates have to go to like 10% to make, mm. to allow people to have enough money to overcome the cost of rising goods and services. Interest rates 
going to 10%. That's a 700 basis points increase, 3% yields, you know, on the two-year treasury or whatever it is. We need to be at 10%. That's a long way to go. And people are sick of it already, right? They don't want high interest rates. Well, you know, you have to raise interest rates 700 basis points. I guarantee you, you're going to have a recession and that'll be one that will feel. So I just think people just love to have their cake and eat it too. And politicians love that. And, you know, every there's no constituency, Teddy, for, you know, high interest rates, low stock market, you know, a high cost of capital. I mean, you know, unless you're shorting the market or shorting interest rates and very few people understand the mechanics of shorting and how to do it and want to take that risk. And so constituency is all about the stock market going up and up and up and interest rates staying low forever and everything being cheap and NFTs being, you know, $69 million. And and I'm, think, I'm thinking about, you know, 13 years of this policy. I mean, like lots of people who set that policy are like, now, no longer in office, right? You know, Powell was only appointed in 2018. Like, there, there's an element of... Well, he's just continuing the policies that uh, Bernanke and Yellen started. Right. My point, my, my point is it's sort of like this decentralized, like, no one like made the decision, so to speak, right? It was sort of this collective decision. That's another famous, like, meme. Like, no one can be held responsible for the financial crisis because, you know, can't hold Trump responsible for what he did, you know. Can't hold Elon Musk responsible for backing away from the Twitter deal. Nobody can get held responsible for anything anymore. Bill, let's send it there um, on, on that extremely dour note. Uh, come back tomorrow, everybody. For more fun and games. For another episode of The Powers That Be. Bill, thanks for coming by. Thank you, Teddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.